Introduction My mother taught me to read and write Devanagari script as a child, and my father made me learn Sanskrit on weekends and over summer vacation when I was in elementary and middle school. I first began studying the Bhagavad Gita as a college student. The text is sufficiently ancient that I expected it to be highly advanced and full of incomprehensible exceptions to what little Sanskrit I had learned. Surprisingly, when I applied my limited knowledge of grammar along with a very large dictionary I discovered in a professor's house, I found the text to be highly approachable. In fact, each verse became like a little puzzle I could solve using the rules of syntax and grammar. The reward for solving this puzzle might be a bit of literary insight or wisdom. I surveyed a few widely available translations by Hindu scholars. To my horror, I discovered that they were injecting their own dogmatic views into their translations. People unfamiliar with Sanskrit would attribute those views to the text, even if they were utterly absent from the Bhagavad Gita. The translations by non-Hindus were just bad. I recall one person who had painstakingly rendered the entire text in rhyme, perhaps to emphasize that it is poetry. Now, the text does consistently follow a few syllabic meters, but you will immediately observe that it does not rhyme. I resolved at that time to write a high-quality translation without injecting any of my own dogma. Yes, my reactions and interpretations might be of interest, but they should be strictly separated from the text and its translation. Intermittently, over the following decades, I have continued this translation work to the point where I can share it in this podcast. Sandivicheb When we speak naturally, we commonly omit pauses between words. Indeed, if you listen carefully, you will realize that we alter the pronunciation of many words based on what we said immediately before or what we plan to say immediately after. This phenomenon is natural and universal. Sanskrit has such an immense oral history and tradition that compound words of intimidating length are common in written Sanskrit. Fortunately, the rules for altering words when they get compounded have been codified. The word sandhi refers to the joining or compounding of words, and viched means division of a compound word into its constituents. Sandhi viched is a useful first step in analyzing a Sanskrit sentence. When we deconstruct a compound word with consideration of the compounding rules, we get shorter, familiar, nouns with clear declension, and verbs with clear conjugation. Unwear. There are conventions for word order in the formation of Sanskrit sentences. However, because nouns are declined and verbs are conjugated, a sentence remains comprehensible even if word order is unconventional. 
This allows emphasis to be expressed using word order, and it allows word order to be adapted to the syllabic meter of a poem. I thought about reordering words to conform to some simple modern Sanskrit grammar, but then I thought if I am translating into English, why not reorder words to make the translation easy? I've taken advantage of Sanskrit's flexibility by reordering the words of each verse so that they can be translated to form English sentences. This exposition of the relationship of words in a sentence is called Anvaya. Translation. My English translation might seem inconsistent in style, ranging from outdated to very colloquial. This is intentional. Linguists have long pointed out that languages evolve over time, breaking rules that seemed previously inviolable. An English speaker need only read a bit of Shakespeare or Chaucer for a dramatic demonstration of this fact. However, the variations over time are not entirely random. They follow universal patterns and constraints that are based on how human beings produce sounds and even on how we think. Consequently, Styles that are considered novel fads in one language may actually be considered old-fashioned in another language, and vice versa. By keeping my translation as close as possible to the original, even in English, I hope to emphasize that the same linguistic styles that modern English speakers consider exceptionally fashionable and modern or exceptionally outdated and gauche were actually in use at the time the Gita was composed.